Hello and welcome to Conversations. I am Charles. And I'm Pat. And this is episode 12, Etiquette and Protocol. The state of the galaxy is uncertain. The rebellion is in peril. One droid at the center of it all. His manufacturing and programming have led him to this. The future of the galaxy rests in his golden hands. From a certain point of view, his Tank the Maker, the Threep episode. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my, R2, I'm finally getting the credit we deserve. <laughs> I'm finally getting so <laughs> He's so self-righteous. Well, yeah, exactly. If he's getting the credit they deserve, of course, they work on it together. So, yes. So, uh, we are talking about uh, 3PO today. And uh, his, oh, yes. his massive influence, honestly, his massive influence, the entire saga is uh, is quite great. Uh, much to his uh, chagrin, disappointment, happiness, uh, any emotion you put in there, basically, from sentence <laughs> to sentence. <laughs> He's all he's all in for it, but uh, only when it suits his uh, his, his programming. Needs. Yes, yes, and, yeah, and his protocol exactly. I think that he, he um, one of the most interesting characters in the franchise. I think a lot of people can identify with him. This this robot from from Star Wars. You've got all these characters, all these living beings, and he's quite relatable to a lot of people absolutely i 100 percent agree and you know i think from the point of view of uh, being a droid uh having that sort of black and white mentality uh he's so much deeper than that and that's exactly where that relational piece comes into being human uh because he's he's got both of those sides going he uh he sort of vacillates between uh, confidence and uh, lack of confidence and 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 uh, questioning, but then also being on board. It's it's really quite a complex uh, sort of set of emotions that he runs through given the situation, and I think that makes him completely uh, one of the most relatable characters uh, in the entire story. Yeah, for me, I, I relate to him based on his awkwardness. Um, I think that uh, that he. You know, obviously has a has a disconnect from humanity on, on paper. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's established that he's a droid and that he's not supposed to be human. But in, I would say, his unique way, he's quite human. And I think Anthony Daniels was fantastic and just very different from the other human-like droids, uh, namely K2SO or uh, L3. Right, right. And even when he, you put him beside some of the main characters like Luke or Han or Leia, who, you know, individually they go through, like, you know, transformations or they move through their character arcs, um, but they're sort of on a path that you, you can sort of predict where, whereas C-3PO, he isn't. And that's what makes him almost more human than some of the characters he's playing against, the, because he goes through those sort of, you know, like the uh, the uh, ebbs and flows or, or uh, crests and troughs, as it were, of of any given situation much more uh, frequently than anybody else. And those highs and lows are what obviously are part of the comic relief that he provides, you know, as a character. But then also. Um, as we said before, it makes him more human because he reacts to those perilous situations that, you know, Han Solo is 100% confident in, 
uh, he comes up with the odds of why we shouldn't be doing it or why they shouldn't be doing it. And that's, you know, you're sitting there as, as a fan watching the movie. It's like, absolutely. Uh, I'd love to be Han Solo and being all that, you know, confident and, and brash. But really, I'm just C-3PO sitting in the back seat, strapping myself in because I'm worried about my, you know, about my, uh, my parts being blown to bits. Right, right. And that's, that's really the rub uh, in humanity is you've got these legendary hero stories where, you know, you've got Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, you've got Darth Vader, Leia, you know, all these iconic characters. And most people don't feel like the iconic character in life. Right. Uh, I think that, that you know, they so, some people do. Um, <laughs> but I think I think most people, especially people that grew up watching Star Wars, um, it's. It's about that fantasy. Yeah. About, you know, some some nobody on a moisture farm discovering that he's, you know, this this Jedi and this this hero for the galaxy. And you kind of can wish your way through that, but it, but it's 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 not you, it's not it's not me. Uh we're C three PO. Yeah, we're we're seeing in life, you you know, you you see news stories, you read articles about people that do, you know, very heroic things and and you're reading about it or or, you know, watching it, uh, not not being the one who's being heroic, you know, on that sort of grandiose scale. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're sort of a. Uh, you know, as a co-pilot or a sidekick to that sort of event. And, you know, I think there's different degrees of where <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate sidekick. Well, yeah. Co-pilot. Yeah. Co-pilot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, uh, and of course, uh, C-3PO was Chewie's co-pilot when he took him apart on the cloud in the cloud city. So that could be another co-pilot right there while he's on. Uh, I'm backwards. <laughs> what have you done? Um, <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, the way he uses humor, of course, is not intentional. It's the way, uh, again, he's using his sort of insecurities, which, again, is completely opposite to what you'd think is a droid. His insecurities with any given situation, then he comes out with a line of, you know, for whatever, for R2 or which character he's interacting with. And suddenly it's funny because it's the, uh, you know, the foil to the entire arc. Uh, so unknowingly, he's the... Uh, the humor uh, or the comic relief. And I guess that's part of the, you know, obviously that's part of the attraction in the story. Um, but from, from C-3PO's perspective, he's not trying to be funny at all. He's trying to be dead serious because he's worried about his hide. You know, he's been through, he's been through the ringer uh, quite a few times. And from the beginning, like, you know, when, you know, when I, Anakin first put him together and the indignity that he had to go through by being essentially naked, uh, from that point on, it was about him. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, it was about him looking out for himself because while he was being thrust into these uh, almost annoying situations that he had to go along, um, he his mindset was that no one else was looking out for him except for himself. So that's probably where most of that, uh, you know, most of that comic foil right. but also self-reliance comes from. Yeah, I think that um, if you were to tell three that he was 
the comic relief, I think he would be offended. Right, almost as offended as he must have been when uh, Anakin left uh, Tatooine at the end of Phantom Menace uh, to join the Jedi Order. When Anakin returned with Obi-Wan in Episode 2, who did that? Who, you know, completed him because they're essentially property. So he, he could have been bounced around. He could have been you know, scavenged <laughs> by Jawas like he was in the uh, Sandcrawler in Episode 4. Um, you know, thing, things like that where it's like, you know, here's my, my, my human, my owner. He's sort of tossed around like the, uh, the, unwanted, um, uh, the unwanted droid because he does seem to be so transient. Uh, you know, one could say that it's the force working in its way and, you know, he moves to the people that he needs to be. Uh, and it's all part of the greater plan. But um, from his perspective, he's got to be he's got to think like, wow. Here's yet another situation where I'm I'm gonna watch out for myself because no one else was watching out for him. Yeah, and and on tattooing specifically, nobody <laughs> has much use for a protocol droid. Uncle Owen said it. Uh, he said, I, I, "I don't need a protocol droid. You're programmed and not getting protocol. Ah, get out of here." Um, so I could totally see that fitting in in Coruscant in a more urban sort of upscale type of environment. Whereas the sort of backwater such as tattooing. Yeah. I need someone to, who can speak to uh, uh, moisture evaporators, you know, botching. <laughs> I can speak botching. He, he really um, is kind of Absolutely. looked at in a comedic Absolutely. light, but he's, he's, he's very important to ground the story. To, to remind the viewer that these characters are relatable. They are us. Whether it's relaxed time, stress time, uh, action time, because his uh, sort of his one-liners, un- unwittingly his un- one-liners, help uh, ground the viewer in the, in the severity of the situation. And without sometimes what, what he's talking about, it can be seen as like, oh, it's another ho-hum um, another whole hum adventure we're going on when, but then, you know, going through an asteroid field and, you know, never tell me the odds. That's actually how strong, how hard it's going to be for this, you know, the, the group to navigate through, uh, whatever peril they're going through. And I think that's a critical, um, a critical, uh, role that he plays in that situation. Because like you said, without it, the viewer just sort of goes on along and says, oh, these are just amazing people going through amazing adventures without much uh, care for how dangerous that situation they're in uh, could be. Right, or, you know, having nothing else in Star Wars to base it off of, especially in A New Hope, when they're, you know, facing these uh, trials, you don't really know if they've faced anything like these before because it's the first time you're seeing it. It's the first film. So it also kind of gives a little more information than what you're seeing on the screen. It gives a little bit of, um, uh, it kind of identifies with you as, you know, someone who doesn't know it kind of, it kind of, um, fills you in on a couple things, uh, that, that, that 3PO knows that, you know, as far as danger, as far as, you know, the, the insurmountable odds and, and, you know, 
being blasted on the Tantive Four and, and uh, he, he and R2 kind of trying to escape, you know, like this could be a random Tuesday. Uh, yet another situation where he's, uh, you know, being he's twisting in the wind as ownership wise uh, off on some of the other adventure that he'd really prefer not to be. Uh, that's probably his lot in life, as he would say. And he hates uh, <laughs> space travel. Um, yeah, exactly. which is, just a few. <laughs> which is which is terrible for, for a Star Wars character oh, because man. you're gonna be in space. <laughs> Get used to it. Yes, but um, so yeah, he um, he's you know that's all to say that he's he's, he's an interesting guy. Um, but he um, he really has you know gone through a lot um, and his um, shell um, can 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 show that more than as, any sort of facial expression as much as Leia would think he does. Obviously, he <laughs> wipe that smile off your face, uh, wipe that concern look off your face. Um, so. Um, but like his his silver leg, his red arm, his shininess, all these sorts of things are indicative of indicative exactly. And the red arm shininess. Okay, hold that thought because we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about all the construction and how uh, Threep himself came to be. So stick with us for this commercial break and we're right back. <laughs> Has the Empire seized your moisture farm? Has the Empire reprogrammed your droids without your knowledge? Has the Empire taken your speeder? Well, you're in luck. I'm Mondo Onaka of Onaka and Melch, attorneys at law. We'll get what you deserve from the Empire. And you'll get something too. And we're back. You see, the he's always referred to Anakin as the maker, which of course he is, but... Where did C-3PO come from, really? When you think about uh, the fact that there are other C-3PO, uh, well, uh, uh, 3PO droids, not necessarily C-3PO, but there's other protocol droids in the Star Wars universe. So it's not like he, he created the entire line of protocol droids. Um, it's not really clearly defined, oh, yeah. uh, at least from a cinematic or film uh, point of view, where he actually put these pieces together you know there's been you know uh comic book stories there's been literary references where you know he cobbled together uh the pieces of this 3po um uh, protocol droid and put them together from wado's place right so he'd sort of stealthily take them back to uh, uh shmi's uh hut and then put him back there uh, put him put him together there and cobble together the the various uh, pieces that he needed and building out that that first droid, which of course became C-3PO, and I think that's where we start with um, with uh, his construction. I think that's kind of where um, where he got. They were, they were probably they were probably very abundant uh, <laughs> in in Anakin's mind in terms of of. You know, what could I tinker with? It seems like nothing's being done with them. I could make one of them out of these these parts that we've got. And then you see him really finding his um, his place when in uh, episode two, once he once he gets reintroduced to Anakin and then has stuff to do. 
other than just walk around right. looking at sand. <laughs> and it's much easier for him, of course, than our two. Um, the yes. uh, so yes. with that in mind, then the 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 plus the brilliance of Anakin to be able to put these things together and just like his own his you know his Jedi abilities to be able to uh, to assemble these devices in in essence uh, speaks to the shell of what he's able to put together from what he can cobble together, like you said, in the junkyard and the, and the abundance of scrap pieces and here and there and that kind of stuff. But the uh, once that that shell is then built, we see that progression from um, then, you know, from the Phantom Menace, he's, he's put together, but then he does get um, uh, sort of a uh, dullened shell that we see in um, uh, in Attack of the Clones. Yeah, almost like that's a, that's another um, um, scrappy exterior that, that was right, discarded. Right. So that by the time you see him in A New Hope and, and um, even, uh, I believe, uh, Revenge of the Sith, when he's got the gold plating, it's, uh, it's intentional as, as a way to kind of spruce him up and, and get him back to uh, fighting shape, yes. as it were, for <laughs> Protocol Droid. For the oncoming onslaught of uh, destruction he's going to be going through. <laughs> my. <laughs> my. So then we go through, you know, then we hit New Hope. And of course, uh, you know, after his his uh, travails through the space and then uh, his his uh, acquisition by Uncle Owen, he gets his oil bath and then he does somewhat look, I guess, a little bit shinier. But uh, he does go through the but he does have the silver leg at this point, um, which he didn't have uh, before. So that one is uh, so that, again, speaks to the sort of the the. the availability of materials at hand at the time. Um, and then we see him, of course, at the end of New Hope, and he's got his buffed, uh, his, uh, his buffed plating, and he looks like a shiny golden uh, ingot at the end with, uh, with the award ceremony. Uh, medal. <laughs> well, exactly. Medal he deserves it. I mean, he is the central, <laughs> the central character of the story. Um, and then we go yeah. through, of course, he doesn't change, he doesn't change really throughout the, um, the original trilogy, um, of course, he is uh, hoisted up as a golden deity in uh, Return of the Jedi. And then, like you pointed out just before the break, was when we first see him in um, Force Awakens, he's got a red arm. And uh, thankfully, he's, he identified who he is because uh, none of us would have known uh, he was C-3PO for that red arm. <laughs> but yes so, so you know at first it was seen as what what is this story about the red arm is it a is it just a, a, you know sort of jj abrams let's do it because we can sort of thing or is there actually a backstory and they did write a backstory uh to that red arm uh as to where it came from which is quite yes. interesting yeah they did a uh a one on one shot Yes, Comic, exactly. Yeah, it just it gave him that gave him right. yet another further adventure of a protocol droid. Um, I believe it was going to rescue or find plans to uh, find sorry the location of where Admiral Akbar was located, and uh, he crash lands on a on a planet and uh, with a bunch of other droids. And the red arm is from, uh, I believe, a an empire an empire uh, protocol droid, and uh, they end up becoming. I guess comrades or friends, 
And because C-3PO's arm was removed <laughs> yet again <laughs> uh, in the story, he uh, picks up this other protocol's droid, uh, protocol droid's arm and places and uses it for his. And that's where the whole red arm came from, which is quite interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, think, I think there has got to be at least non-canon versions of, of everything that he goes through in terms of um, missing limbs and replacing <laughs> limbs, um, which reminds me of the, uh, the Lego Star Wars video game when, uh, when you play as three and you um, get injured. You, you don't lose, like, hearts. You, yes. you lose limbs. <laughs> <laughs> to, the, to the point where, like, you'll lose a leg and hop around, and then you'll lose an arm and and still hop around, and then, and then when you when you when you get blasted, you just break apart. And right, right. Exactly. They just go flying in all different directions. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Why exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah. So he um, he really um has has been through a lot physically to um to yeah. restate that and and well, mentally and mentally as well for all his one liners and all his <laughs> and all his uh, psych his, yeah his psychology of what C3PO has gone through uh for a protocol droid which really should be black and white you know <laughs> right and wrong um like we said wait back from the start it's been probably one of the most human characters to uh to evolve throughout the entire saga oh yeah and uh, and you know it speaks to the the irony of him absolutely. being a robot. Absolutely. Well, there we go. There's uh, there's three PO in a in a golden plated nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and uh, we're gonna come back with our what the force. And uh, today's subject is going to be. Just how much Palpatine and how much influence did he have on the entire saga? Whew, I've been farming and gathering moisture all day. It is a killer out there. Hey, Tank, you doing okay? You look thirsty. I am, Biggs. I'm pretty, pretty thirsty for sure. Huh. Oh, what do you got there? Funny you should ask. Dark Gliders Blue Milk. Oh, can I have some? Sure. Oh man, that hit the spot. Dark Lighter's Blue Milk. Evaporated on Tatooine. Bottled Moss Eisley. Available at the Cantina. Scum and Not included. Alright, and we're back. What the force. Nice. <laughs> Is your throat okay? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Emperor Palpatine. Yes, and just how much influence did he have on the saga? Now, the uh, we had sort of planned out this episode prior to knowing uh, the surprise uh, that we saw at uh, Chicago. So, uh, yes. of course, we know he's at the end of the of the trailer. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, roll it again. See, I can't even laugh. I can't even right? do it. Yeah, no, okay. no, no. Okay. I'm bleeding just a bit. All right. So, so um, yeah. yeah, in terms of his brilliantly executed game plan. Right. He started from the bottom. Now he's here. Uh, he, um, <laughs> I, 
I picture the master puppets here kind of uh, manipulating everyone around him to bend to his will, which of course ultimately is to make him the leader of the galaxy, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the, there's the, uh, the comic version that, that um, is canon that states that he had a very explicit hand in the conception of Anakin, and I think it just went from there. I think that he um, had helped to create Anakin, and then helped to, you know, villainize Chancellor Valorum, and um, just really bend the relationship between Anakin and, and Padme and I know that he had, um, I think that um, he even, uh, you know, manipulated that, that love that Anakin had for Padme and, and maybe hers in return, uh, which was the driving force for Anakin with the turn to the dark right. side, as well as, you know, him even utilizing Jar Jar when he had Padme, you know, kind of away from the Senate and then Jar Jar was was in her place being the fool. And, um, you know, everyone writes Jar Jar off as being an idiot, which, okay, maybe. But um, it was incredibly useful for Palpatine because Mm -hmm. he was able to provide that voice other than Palpatine's to say, hey, you know, there's a vote of uh, no confidence Mm -hmm. in Chancellor Valorum, which you know, then gave the beginning of the rise to Palpatine. Right. And, you know, for as much uh, negative vibe and and uh, vilifying that Ahmed Besson and Jar Jar Binks as a character got, how important his role was in the entire uh, prequel trilogy is, you know, it can't be understated. And just because he was played uh, by um, Palpatine, let's not forget, so was Yoda. Yes, so, absolutely everyone was and I think it's even more believable from a from a from adult. Yeah. You know, I think I think you you might say, Oh well, Obi Wan wouldn't have fallen for that trick or whatever. Um which he did too. Yeah. Um <laughs> but you know, it's 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 it seems almost organic that of course this this silly, you know, backwoods Gungan would Fall for that, yes, and and therefore give rise to Palpatine in the Senate, and then you know emergency powers and the whole bit. Right. So there's a crack. That door has a crack open, and I think that just recently, after of course having watched all of the movies again, uh, however improperly, um, in watching the Phantom Menace, at the start. When he's speaking to the Trade Federation, uh, the two guys there, um, oh, yes. and uh, he says, or one of them, well, the leader's name, what's his name? Um, Newt Gunray. Newt Gunray, right. He says to... This uh, is why we're great at Star Wars trivia. Right. Uh, and I'm not. Um, so he's speaking... Collectively, we're great. Right. <laughs> you know Han Solo's name. Okay, continue. <laughs> and uh, he's speaking, Newt is speaking to, the, of course, the, uh, the projection of... Uh, the emperor and he says uh you know there are two jedi here 
To which now there are two of them. Yes, this is getting out of hand. <laughs> and to which the emperor so replies, he says, "Well, Chancellor Valorum should not have involved them." Hmm. Yes. Okay. So almost like, um, like, oh crap! Now we have to deal with. Yeah. Some Jedi. Yeah. Exactly. Like, because yeah. I mean, you know, from seeing all the movies and and seeing like you, we just talked about where the, all the the masterful uh, stages and steps and pre-planned and. All of these different things are all like part of this master puzzle he put together. It seems that these Jedi showing up uh, in a trade dispute uh, above Naboo uh, is almost by chance, or at least not of his design. But if it wasn't, it certainly was the catalyst for the entire uh, prequel trilogy for, for them then showing up on Naboo, getting involved. It absolutely and... was the catalyst, yes. Yeah. Now, what if... That was a ruse. Okay. What if Palpatine knew full well that these Jedi were coming, especially one that believed very strongly in the prophecy, and he knew, yeah, that's right. That's right. he knew where Anakin, he knew where Anakin was, he knew where, you know, about Naboo, he was from Naboo, so he knew about right. the Gungans. Right. Okay. So, um, he knew about the queen who would, you know, Having her on his side would help to move things along. And um, what if he knew that was going to happen and planned for it or even orchestrated it, but turned around and pinned it on Valorum to kind of say he's using these um, special powered individuals to uh, further his own agenda? And okay. therefore villainize uh, Valorum. Valorum even further. Yeah. And then, okay, now that's completely... Okay, I get that. I can mm -hmm. see that. And then even... That's then how if, masterful I think he was. So then, if you project then that even further, knowing that the Jedi were going to be there, and knowing that they were obviously going to figure a way to get off of, uh, of Naboo, mm -hmm. perhaps even part of that plan was to disable her ship... Uh, to the point where she couldn't jump to light speed and, and therefore have to stay to. local and end up on Tatooine. One of, perhaps one of the only planets not controlled by the Hut because it wasn't part of the Trade Federation. Right, right. Now, we've seen now what Luke could do through the Force um, right. with astral projection and everything, which... Uh -huh. Which, you know, is part of the sequel trilogy, I get it, but um, there's, there's a wide array of, of force abilities, mm -hmm. some may deem unnatural, yeah. but I, I would not put it past him to be able to manipulate hyperdrives to disable them as well. Wow. Therefore, still pushing them towards... Mm -hmm. A local planet, or at least within the outer rim, versus you know, mm -hmm. blasting back to somewhere that he couldn't uh, trail them, right? Or that he couldn't predict. And then, again, and speaking even further to that, then how the heck did Maul find them so quickly? If not part of his overall plan that he knew was going to happen, and mm -hmm. give him at least sort of a coordinates and a region to look at versus. You know, he may not be on Tatooine, but they may be on another planet very close by. And that was part of his search pattern. Yeah, and as, as I understand it, the Outer Rim is, is sparse and um, 
and not as population dense as as the you know the inner rim the the sort of more civilized and um urban of the planet so i think that if he knew at least outer rim or even tattooing mm-hmm. that he would be able to find them relatively easily right right very cool well yeah. there we go that was my central question for the entire uh influence part of uh of uh, palpatine just how you know we know what's in canon we know all the things that he's all the strings that he's pulled but that was sort of one question i had that uh that popped up in the phantom menace yeah so, and yeah. i think it's very interesting what they've sort of um explored with the sequel trilogy and the kind of maybe one-sided conversations that kylo had with vader's helmet maybe not one-sided i don't know right um and it'll be interesting to see what sort of part, what sort of manipulative, sneaky, underhanded part I'm sure Ian McDermott has in store for us. Right. I can't wait to see that story. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. Um, we appreciate you uh, lending us your ears for uh, maybe 40 minutes. And um, you, of course, can find us on uh, Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash conversations. You can find us on Twitter uh, at Swations, and you can always send us an email at conversations at gmail.com. And uh, there's also conversations.com, right, uh, which has all of our nerdy exploits and black series figures and cosplay and all the other oh, junk yeah. that we do uh, <laughs> <laughs> that we do regularly yes. that uh, when we're not recording podcasts, we put together and try to impress each other. So then when we do that, we just put them up on the web Succeed as well. Succeed. Succeed, yes. Impressing each other, yes. Right. Um, so I think that does it for us for this cast. And as always, may the force be with you. Always. <laughs>